following program is a production of the Barroom Network. It is intended for all audiences. Doug Buffoon. This defense sucks. This is moronic. John Buffoon. If your best run plays are coming off end arounds, there's a problem. Doug was behind the microphone first. He never held back. Very difficult to score when your offense is on the bench. When your defense is out there giving up 70, 80, 70, 64-yard drives. Now, it's his nephew, John. And there's no holding this buffoon back either. An offensive-minded coach that's running an offense that got nine yards and a half. A beaten-up defense that isn't necessarily performing in key situations. I've had it! I have had it! I want somebody to get kicked in the ass! How many games can you rattle off that involve the team running the ball seven times and they win? I can't think of any. I don't mind you getting beat. I got my ass whipped many times. But I tell you, I took somebody down with me. Because Bears fans wanted to believe in the worst way that Chicago had a stable, competitive franchise. And this is what we got. It's Buffone 55, the John Buffone Show. Hello and welcome to another edition of Buffone 55, a fast-paced approach at breaking down the Chicago Bears. I'm your host, John Buffone, and with me as always, my trusty producer and co-host, Alyssa Barbieri. Alyssa, we took a week off. We got to shake off the rust. Are you ready to get back into some Bears talk? I am. I mean, we are a little rusty at the get-go here, but I mean, I think we'll pull it around. Uh, we'll pull it out on like the Bears uh, last a couple of weeks ago against the Steelers, which, I mean, it's been a while since we've done this, so there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, uh, we'll see if we can close a little bit better than the Chicago Bears can. And we have an awesome guest lined up to help us better understand the Bears' next opponent, the Baltimore Ravens. But just in case this is your first time listening, and I hope to God it's not because we are not making a good first impression. If this is your first time listening or watching Buffone 55, Alyssa, please give everybody a breakdown of how this show works. Absolutely. So Buffone 55 has three segments and we always start off with our B55 segment. That's when I ask John five questions and his responses must be completed within 55 seconds. The 55 is John's way of paying tribute to the great Doug Buffone, his uncle, his mentor, and a man who played 15 seasons with the Bears and wore number 55. That's then followed by learning about the Bears' upcoming opponent from someone that follows them closely. And today we are thrilled to have Melissa Kim, a studio host for the Baltimore Ravens broadcast team. We then finish things up by going into Buffone's basement, where we have a Bears therapy session and get out all of our rage. So there's a lot to talk about. John, you think you can shake off the rust and get back into the swing of things? Uh, well, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> Let's just give it a try. Okay, so here we go. So, John, we haven't spoken since the Steelers game, and I know that you were at the game and watched the drama play out at Heinz Field. It was rough to watch it on TV, but it's hard to imagine what it was like in person. So can you take us through the pain? You have 55 seconds. 
you know, it, it's really an experience when you lose a game, you're in the opponent's stadium, and they aren't gloating at all. Now, I don't know if that's because the Steelers fans were upset with how their team played, or they know they kind of got away with one because of the missed calls, the bad calls, and, well, the made-up calls. But, by the way, Bears fans really showed out to this game. I was in Pittsburgh hours before the game, and there was orange and blue everywhere. So kudos to Bears fans for traveling well to Pittsburgh on a Monday night. Uh, but you all know I'm not usually someone that rips the officials. I think that uh, most of the time that energy should be directed at your team, the coaches, the front office, whatever. Uh, but when I saw these calls and no calls in real time, I just kept telling myself, okay, I don't have the luxury of watching this on TV. I'll reserve judgment. Then I watched it the next day and was absolutely floored. I could not believe what I saw. The officiating was just abysmal. I, I don't know. The, the Bears just aren't good enough to beat the Steelers and the officials. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of crazy how that played out, like the officiating. I mean, it's pretty bad when you have Packers fans and Steelers fans saying that, wow, the refs are really screwing the Bears over. And, you know, it was a completely different experience on TV, obviously, because we had, you know, the benefit of going on Twitter and watching the replays and just seeing just how one-sided it was. You know, that was something where it, it was kind of – the bye week came like at a right time for the Bears, but the wrong time for us because I feel like we really could have had at that, right? Like more like in the moment kind of this is how we're feeling about the officiating. And I don't want to like blame the officials. I'm not someone that tends to do that. But when you look at that game, it was just really infuriating. And I'm like, man, I was thinking about you, John. I'm like, oh, yeah. my God, I got so excited that like once they were like coming back in the fourth quarter. But I'm like, he's probably there watching this. Well, what the hell is happening? I was I was there because the first half I was just like okay it's gonna be one of those games and then they kind of just dangle that carrot in front of you and they're like oh there's hope and then in classic Bears fashion it doesn't work out now there were some contributing factors to that like a referee hip checking one of the guys and throwing a throwing a flag on him so uh, like I said I was expecting some poking and prodding some gloating as I was walking out of Heinz Field I didn't hear a word and quite frankly talking to some of my friends and talking to some of the people in Pittsburgh. They were more upset about the about the how the Steelers played rather than the actual win they got out of it. So it was kind of it was really weird. It was just a weird atmosphere. And I'm sure Steelers fans aren't feeling too good after this week either. Almost or almost <laughs> losing and probably should have lost to the Lions rather than tied. So mm -hmm. no. Nah. They should probably be 0-2 over these last two weeks. So hey, being one 0 1, Steelers fans take it. So, you know, there were there's a lot of disappointment, obviously, and frustration in the game. But despite the loss, Bears fans seem to rejoice in the fact that Justin Fields continues to get better with each week. What did you see from Fields that gives you hope moving forward? 55 seconds or on the clock? Well, it certainly says something when Bears fans felt better about the loss than Steelers fans felt about the win, like I just said. But I think... We all saw the future. We saw a guy that can lift his team up. For the longest time, Bears fans were under the notion that everything had to be great around the quarterback for the quarterback to succeed. What we saw was a quarterback that can actually make his teammates better instead of teammates making him better. We saw the poise. We saw him being able to take a hit in the pocket and still deliver a dime. We saw the escapability. We saw the ball actually get pushed down the field. With fields in there, there isn't a necessity for a dink and dunk offense that has to nickel and dime its way to a field goal every possession. Explosive plays are actually a possibility with Justin Fields. So despite this being a bad season with hopefully a lame duck coach, Bears fans are grasping at the fact, and rightfully so, that they have maybe found the missing piece that has been avoiding this franchise for ever. 
That's a forever. It was a pretty, pretty, pretty yeah. long time. Uh, you know, like you said, I felt it was very weird on Tuesday. Like, like it felt like they'd won, even though they hadn't. But I mean, when you kind of look in the grand scheme of things, maybe they did win that game, right? Because you get one step closer to Matt Nagy being gone. And then Justin Fields takes has a breakout game, not only on primetime in a hostile environment, but against one of the NFL's best defenses. And that's the step that you wanted to see him take. He looked like the real deal. Like you said, I was watching him like, is this a Bears quarterback? I don't know what this feeling yeah. is. I never felt like this watching a Bears quarterback and knowing this is just the beginning. He's only started seven NFL games. And to think what he could do with more experience, obviously there's eight more games left the season and better coaching and better weapons around him and just more experience. I mean, it, it felt like a win in a way, which is very weird to say. I mean, like like you said, Steelers fans felt, you know, felt uh, more upset about the, the win because of how it happened and everything. But Bears fans left that game feeling pretty good because of Justin Fields. The, the fact that the Bears might have stability at the quarterback position for more than a year, uh, I think, was what people took out of that. And, you know, I, I'm sure the Bears organization, they're not happy they lost, but they're also happy that the team that the fans maybe weren't ripping them as hard as they usually do because Justin Fields had such a great game. So, like you said, Alyssa, kind of a win-win if you're a Bears fan. Justin Fields looks great. Maybe it's one step closer to Matt Nagy being gone. Now we hope that they don't screw it up. Right, because that's always the fear <laughs> with this franchise. <laughs> I don't. I don't put anything past them. We'll we'll see what the wild card is. So you know we're gonna get into this week. The Bears are back. They're gonna be playing the Ravens on Sunday at Soldier Field. The big news this week was that second round uh, second round rookie Tevin Jenkins would return to practice this week. If and when Jenkins is ready to go, his insertion in the starting lineup could potentially shake things up. If you had to move around the offensive line, what combination would you go with? You have 55 seconds. Well, there is a good opportunity here to see what the future of the offensive line could look like. I don't know if that's going to do Matt Nagy much good, but for Bears fans, it should be nice. Uh, I think you drafted Jenkins to be your left tackle. I think that's where he needs to get his reps. Larry Borum should stay at right tackle. You have, hopefully, these two positions nailed down for the next 10 years. Jason Peters, probably not going to be with the Bears next year, but he is a mammoth man, and as long as you don't ask him to pull too often, he can probably play left guard. So then the age-old question rears its ugly head. What do you do with James Daniel? and Cody Whitehair. I obviously took Mustafa out of the starting lineup. It was a nice experiment. I had some hope, but I don't think he's the future center of this franchise. So you start thinking about the future of the offensive line. Who plays center? Who plays guard? I imagine Whitehair is going to be on the team next year just because of how his contract is structured. James Daniels' contract is up after this season. So I say put Whitehair at guard, Daniels at center, and then you target Ryan Jensen in the offseason to solidify the center position. Easy as that. Interesting. I mean, like, I think we both went for immediately get Mustafa out of the starting lineup if they yeah. can. And there is a there is a way for that to happen now with Jenkins, you know, on his way back because he's just been yeah. Mustafa been a liability this season on that line. You know, obviously, like you said, Tevin Jenkins was brought in to be the left tackle. So, you know, they want to see where how he's going to you know fare at that position. But again, protecting Justin Fields should mm -hmm. be top priority. And I know Jason Peters has been playing. He's probably been the best offensive lineman this season for them. So, I mean, it would be difficult moving him, but I mean, it's about the future, right? So you're going to have yeah. to see what Tevin brings there at left tackle. Like you said, Larry Bourne's been doing a pretty damn good job at right tackle going yep. against Nick Bosa and TJ Watt. Like, amazing. It looks like they kind of got like the edge anchored there, you know? So obviously with Mustafa, I would actually move white hair to center. And last year with the Eagles, Peters actually played right guard. So I would actually probably mm -hmm. move Jason Peters to right guard and move Daniels back to left guard. 
I mean, like, obviously you want that continuity with the offensive line, but at this point you got to see what you, what they have in Jenkins. And he's actually kind of rotating between left tackle and right tackle, I believe they said this week. So, I mean, it's still – you can't really take Larry Borum out of that position. He's been doing so well. So, right. I mean, that would be that would be where I, I, I would see the line stacking up. But Mustafer, he's got to go. Yeah, and I think that you make a good point about how to kind of rearrange that middle of the line. I, I'm more of a mad scientist to see what you got when you guys like like if if white hair is gonna be here and he wants to play guard, keep him over at guard, either left guard, right guard, whatever he's gonna be more comfortable at, and say, We're going in on a center next year and we're gonna bring in a guy who's gonna be our full time center and James Daniels, thanks, but no thanks. His contract's up. I don't know if he's gonna be on the team next year. Maybe he will be. I don't know, but I I, I like to tinker a little bit. With normally you shouldn't tinker with the offensive line, but uh, in this case where the bear season's probably a lost cause, go ahead and tinker and see what works. Yeah, you want you want to tinker, but also protect protect the future. Which right, I mean, exactly, you, I get. Yeah, get, getting Mustafer out of there, I think, is is a good place to start. And yeah. I mean Jenkins, if he lives up to the hype, I mean putting him in in there will actually make the offensive line better. So. <laughs> and, and we tend to talk about another second round draft pick on this podcast. Uh, quite a lot, and that's Cole Komet. Uh, the second-year tight end had a career-high 87-yard performance against the Steelers and has put up 40 yards or more in three of his last four games. Are we starting to see the emergence of big-time offensive of another big-time offensive weapon in Chicago? John, you've got 55 seconds. Look, I- I've been critical of Cole Komet's usage. I haven't been a big critic of Cole Komet himself, but I was critical of the coaching staff and Ryan Pace for bringing in a developmental tight end with your highest draft pick when you were allegedly a win-now football team trying to chase a championship, but I digress. Uh, big-time offensive weapon, I don't know if I'd quite use that term yet. I think his draft comp was like Tyler Higby, which kind of sounds pretty spot on. Uh, I was irritated because all of the praise coming towards Komet was specifically about his blocking and how his blocking was improving. And quite frankly, I don't know if you use your highest draft pick on a tight end just so he can be a great blocker. Now, I love that he's improving that. I think everyone wants to see this kid be a complete football player. And I think we are seeing incremental progress. So he certainly can be a safety blanket for Justin Fields. I don't think we'll ever, ever have freakish stats like Travis Kelsey or a young Jimmy Graham, but I am happy to see he's getting better rather than just standing still. And I hope I'm wrong. I hope, I hope he does torch the league in the, in the coming years. Yeah, like you said, big-time offensive weapon. I'm not going to start using that quite quite yet. But what is it about Cole Komet getting off to these like slow starts to the season? I know he's only played two years now, but like these slow yeah. starts to the season and then just kind of like emerging, like kind of like towards the middle or the end of the year. But which I'm not complaining. But you're also starting to see the passing game open up a little more mm-hmm. and getting the tight ends involved and and Fields getting comfortable with these players that he didn't get reps right. with during training camp in the preseason. Hey, Matt Nagy, do you wonder why people were so pissed off about that? Uh, so, you know, it's, it's been really nice to see him. He's been like their top receiver next to Darnell Mooney over the last mm-hmm. few weeks. So really getting to see what Cole Komet can do. Like you said, there was a lot of talk about him being a blocker, but I think he can be a solid receiving tight end. He's not going to be a Travis Kelsey, like you said, but at this point, stability and reliability of uh, having a reliable target at the tight end position, I think is only going to work wonders for fields. I would like, Hey, we saw Jimmy Graham sighting, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> a couple he of played. Jimmy Graham sightings. <laughs> Got a ball. Caught a ball. That was yeah. surprising. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I think Komet's going to be more involved, uh, more involved for the rest of the year. 
And it is exciting to see that the young guys are the ones that are producing. Darnell Mooney, second-year player. Cole Komet, uh, you know, being a big time, or not at least being a contributor in his second year. Justin Fields, a rookie. So there's reasons to be excited about the offense because some of the younger guys are uh, are, are contributing. I, I said this, I've said this on a thousand podcasts. So if you've listened to me before, then this is going to sound repetitive. But I'm I'm more critical of how... Cole Komet is used and maybe not, maybe not being featured. And I put a lot of that on the coaching staff. I just, I mean, I put a lot of this on the coaching staff, much like I put everything else. So it's unfair that it's just, they're just my constant dumping ground there. But I, but I I hold the coaching staff accountable for why Cole Komet has these spurts. And then all of a sudden uh, his slow starter, like you said. So um, well, I, I, I hope that this is sustainable. Hey, just another reason to get rid of Matt Nagy. I mean, obviously it's because of fields, but I mean, yeah. just imagine with like competent coaching, like what this offense could look like. I mean, you kind of look at Matt Nagy's offense and, and, and John Fox's, it's like one and the same. Like we just want a decent offensive coach, coaching staff. So just, you know, come on, let's get it over with. We can't have nice things, Alyssa. You know that. I know. It's 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 a curse of being a Bears fan. Yeah, it really <laughs> so, is. So lost in a lot of the positivity talk, I can't believe we've been so positive so far, uh, is the fact that the Bears have lost four straight games that are currently sitting at three and six overall. If they were to lose to the Ravens this Sunday, that would make it five straight and put the nail in the coffin that was basically already closed. So, John, if the Bears lose five straight, will you be furious, sad, or indifferent? No clock for this one. Have at it. You know, there's a lot to be excited about when it comes to the Chicago Bears future. They have their quarterback. They're probably getting a new head coach. There's a lot to look forward to. As for my feelings on the current state of the Chicago Bears, well, it's the worst feeling you can have. It's the feeling of indifference. Remember, they went on a six-game losing streak last year, and nothing really changed. Same cast, same plot, same setting. And I've spent the entire first half of this season being furious with the team, the coaches, and the front office. But When you watch a movie over and over and over again, the dramatic moments just don't hit you as hard as they used to. You know, when I watched Titanic for the first time, I cried like a baby when Jack died. Now, granted, I was only eight years old, but you get the point. The second time I watched it, I was still emotionally invested. You see things you didn't pick up on on the first time, and it's still pretty exciting. But when you get to the sixth and seventh time, you start knowing what the dialogue is. You know exactly what's going to happen, and nothing surprises you anymore. And at that point, you start to think, why the hell am I spending so much time watching Titanic? I keep wasting three hours every time I watch this, which ironically is what Bears fans are probably saying right now. We'll be back with more of a phone 55 right after this. The Barroom Network presents two fired-up Bears fans. They are ready to rumble on the Bear Debate.
Hello, welcome back to Buffon 55. Now it's time to learn a little bit more about the Baltimore Ravens. So I'm going to kick it back over to John to bring out our guest. John, take it away. Thank you, Alyssa. Like we said earlier, I'm so excited to have the studio host of the Ravens broadcast team with us tonight. Please welcome to Buffon 55, Melissa Y. Kim, Melissa, thanks for being on with us. How are you doing tonight? Thanks so much, guys. Um, I'm doing great. Really excited for this week and really excited for Sunday's game. We're excited too, but probably not for the same reason that Ravens fans are excited. We just like to watch our shiny new quarterback play because we're not concerned about playoffs right now. But I do I like him too. Wanna, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I do want to kind of get a better understanding of the Ravens because we want to know what we're up against coming in on Sunday. The Ravens had pretty big expectations coming into this year. They probably still do, uh, but it's been a little bit of a roller coaster ride throughout the first part of the season. What is the temperature in Baltimore right now as far as expectations for this team? I think the temperature is still good. I think that there's still a lot of anticipation in Baltimore for what this team can accomplish and what they're capable of. If you look at the first half of the season, it truly was an emotional roller coaster. I I blame Lamar Jackson for taking years off of my life. Like every week we have some kind of overtime crazy situation, fourth quarter comebacks. But it has been honestly very, very fun to watch. You think about where this team was at the beginning of the year top three running backs out they had to really put the pieces of the puzzle together quite literally one of the most difficult puzzles in the NFL this year and I think that for what they've had to deal with they've certainly accomplished quite a bit and I think that they still have a good ways to go before we see the peak you know potential of this team so the Ravens are coming off uh one of their worst offensive performances of the Lamar Jackson era against the Dolphins how much of those struggles do you think fall on Jackson and what's been your evaluation of him of late um, I don't think it falls all on Lamar. You know, there's only so much he can do. He is one human being on this team. Granted, he does lead the team in rushing yards as well. So he is one of those dynamic dual threat quarterbacks. But um, I think that there's a lot of, if you look at the penalties on the team, there are a lot of guys that, you know, should have been had to, uh, to, are taking responsibility for the loss against the Dolphins, um, which was definitely a tough one for them to watch. And I think that, as a quarterback right now, you know, he, I think we have yet to see his peak performance, but I really do think that we're seeing a lot of growth and development from him this year, especially in the passing game. I think that was one of his, you know, biggest, heaviest criticisms like, oh, like, you know, can Lamar throw the ball? Is he a running back quarterback? Which they do not say at all here in Baltimore. They call him the dynamic dual threat quarterback. You can't ever call him a running back. Um, but I think that, you know, I think we have yet to see his best. He really is. When you look at straight numbers, you know, for some reason, the Ravens do feel disrespected on a national level. Up until a couple weeks ago, nobody was really counting on them. You know, no one was really putting them in like, you know, the top five teams or is Lamar really a top five quarterback in the league right now? If you look at straight numbers, he definitely is, you know, arguably in that top mix there along with the top guys in the league right now. So I think that he will always surprise us and he'll always pull something out of his hat at the last minute to make himself a little more dynamic and really win the game, I think. Melissa, you kind of talked about the running back room in Baltimore. And since the, before the season even started, there was a lot of turnover there. There's a lot of drama there. And uh, eventually you bring in a backfield that would have qualified for the 2015 Pro Bowl. But <laughs> what is, so what is the workload and who is really shining in that backfield and what can Bears fans expect whenever the, the Ravens run the ball on Sunday? Well, the good news for the Ravens in terms of the running game is that Latavius Murray, who has been out uh, for, I believe, since uh, week eight against the Chargers, he actually practiced today in a limited 
way, not like, you know, anything too crazy, but he has really carried most of the load for the team. And he really, when you see him in person, it's kind of alarming, like alarming in a good way, like how big he is in terms of how physical he is. He's not your typical, like, you know, tiny, like stocky, like low to the ground running back kind of guy. I think that he has definitely, he'll provide that spark that they haven't seen in the running game in the last couple of weeks. They obviously let go of Le'Veon Bell yesterday, um, but Coach Harbaugh did say today that the door is still a little open. It's not, a, you know, it's not a shut door. We could see Le'Veon back maybe, maybe later in the season, maybe on the practice squad. Um, but what Coach Harbaugh did say about this running back situation is that they, re- I mean, they really forced their hand. You know, I mean, you lose your literally all of your running backs except for one rookie before the season like starts or, you know, at the beginning of the season. And he really tried to go on, out and get guys like Devontae Freeman, like Latavius Murray, like Le'Veon Bell, who felt like they had something to prove still in the league, like you said, 2015 Pro Bowl roster, literally. And it's fun to see these guys and how they kind of mold themselves into the team. Latavius Murray told us, I think that he had already played a game. I forget which game it was, but he was like, I literally don't know everyone's name on the team. I'll walk by, I'll be a, a guy and I'll just be like, hey, what's up? And give them the head nod because I don't know their name yet. But yet this guy's already scoring touchdowns on the team, you know? And he actually said that playing with Lamar Jackson, you know, he's not like old, like per se, he was like 27, 28, I think. And he said that playing with Lamar Jackson has reminded him how fun football is. So that's been really cool to see just the relationships of these guys, these veteran guys coming in um, on in the backfield and meshing with Lamar, being able to play with him and kind of the influence they've had on each other has been really cool to see. So, Melissa, we know, obviously, the impact that Lamar Jackson can have with his legs, but he can also air out the ball despite what some people say. And Baltimore has some talented young receivers and Marquise Hollywood Brown and Rashad Bateman. You know, what is it about those guys that make them so special and how are how are their targets being divvied up? Oh my gosh, I love watching Rashad Bateman. I know he's only been back for a couple, like three weeks now or so. But every time he's on the field and every time he catches a ball, it is to he is a playmaker. I think it's like 13 out of 14 of his catches so far have been for first downs. So, you know, and you can tell too, like when he's like catching the ball, this is not a knock on Hollywood or any of the other guys, but like, you know, they're kind of holding the ball out here, like not necessarily bringing the ball into their chest as they're catching the ball. And you really see that difference in Rashad Bateman, I think, when uh, he's out there on the field. And I think that has made the difference. I'm excited about him, obviously. Um, Hollywood, I think, in the last couple of weeks, his yak yardage has definitely you know, made a difference. I know he's been struggling with injury. And you could tell that he was a little bit more ginger about, you know, catching the ball and really – progressing down the field as opposed to just catching and like, you know, falling to the ground. And he said that actually, you know, in the last couple of weeks that he's really made an effort to really get a couple more yards after contact. Um, I also really love Devin Duvernay. I know I think he's a bit of an unsung hero on this team. He hasn't necessarily been one of those, like, you know, he's not going to get as many catches as Rashad or as Hollywood, but at the same time, he's made those plays when it matters. We have Mark Andrews too, of course, if you want to move to tight ends, Lamar's favorite target on the team, also constantly making plays um, and really making a difference. I think when you look at uh, Lamar's passing game for sure. And I, you know, I felt last week is like not a great example, obviously of the offense and what this team can accomplish. Um, But I think that those guys are definitely ones that you should look out for on Sunday. You, you touched on Mark Andrews there, and I did want to get into a little bit more of his role on this team because we, we were talking about Cole Komet for the Bears, and I kind of see a little bit of Mark Andrews there with it, with the potential. Maybe not a freak athlete, but really puts out a lot of production. What does Mark Andrews bring to the Baltimore Ravens offense that actually enables Lamar Jackson to be successful? Because we would like to see that same rapport with Cole Komet with Justin Fields in the future. 
So this is more of a scouting report game, it seems like, right? Um, what, yeah. what our team can be, right? The potential. Um, you know, Mark Andrews, when you see him like on the field, he's like, fine, whatever. He obviously looks very big. But when you see him up close and personal in real life, it, it, you literally just said that, John, freak athlete. You know, you really just – he for someone who is so big and has so much muscle, he does move around the field very quickly and very, like, nimbly in a way, you know? And I think that he's had such a great role on this team in terms of being Lamar's favorite target and being able to, you know, get into these little spaces between defenders, again, for such a big guy and catch the ball and make those plays. You see, you know, things that I think that's kind of where the magic happens with him and Lamar, because Lamar throws it in a spot that he knows that only Mark Andrews can catch. So they are actually, my mom always calls them like, you know, even she knows that they're like the greatest connection on the team. Right. And so I think that, um, that he has definitely played such a huge role on this, especially for Lamar's passing game. And Baltimore's offensive line had a rough outing against the Dolphins. Uh, is there an area of weakness where the Bears can, that the Bears can exploit and try to get some pressure on Lamar, kind of like Miami did? Listen, I think if I were the Bears this week, I would have paid attention to how much the Dolphins blitzed um, last week because they obviously are a blitz-heavy team, the Dolphins are. But at the same time, I mean, they were relentless against the Baltimore offensive line last week. Again, another banged-up part of this team that has suffered a lot of injuries. We had to, They've had to you know, kind of put the pieces of the puzzle together. Um, the lack of Patrick McCarry, who's kind of played such a versatile role on this line, um, you definitely saw that in this last game. And the week before, too, against the Vikings, um good news for Ravens fans bad news for Chicago fans that he actually did practice today so we are expecting to see him back um this Sunday so we'll see how that goes but again I think that I think Coach Harbaugh said that today too because he was asked about the blitz situation that the Dolphins had he's like if I were the Bears and they were paying attention uh yeah (laughs) so there's a free silver tip on a silver platter there but um but yeah for sure I think that blitzing would work well work well for the bears if they were paying attention there yeah we will take any coaching (laughs) tip that we can take in in (laughs) chicago because we don't get very good coaching tips from our own coaching staff so we'd be glad to take them from coach harbaugh uh that being said i want to switch sides of ball uh the the bears do some of their best uh work whenever they are able to establish the run game what can they expect with the run defense of the Ravens? Is, is David Montgomery going to have opportunities to break off some runs and maybe set up some play actions uh, later on in the game? You know, I think that the defense, I think, has been a little inconsistent this season for the Ravens, right? You see them have great games. You know, they had played a great game against the Chargers, played a pretty solid game against the Vikings. Those are, those are the two standout games that I can think about that I can think of at the moment because the rest of the performances were kind of inconsistent. You know, Calais Campbell, a veteran on this team, 13 year guy in the league has actually said that they've, I mean, that's like one of the things I love about this team is they've owned every single mistake that they've made. Like they literally, I think Mark Andrews said today, like that, like losing socks, like that sucks, you know, like just to be blunt about it. And so um, I do think that there will be some opportunities for the bears. I think that, you know, it's inconsistent. Again, if they are, if the Ravens are able to be consistent, I think that they might, the Bears will have a little bit of trouble. But like I said, it's been an inconsistent season for them. So it's really, honestly, it's any given day. It's, it's been really hard to tell with the defense and how they've been playing. Uh, that's just like my, my frank, honest analysis of them. It's been kind of hard to tell, like, who's going to show up that day. So the Bears offensive line actually did a decent job protecting Justin Fields uh, against the Steelers. He's able to step up in the pocket and deliver some pretty accurate throws. 
but he is also he continues to take those sacks and he remains i think he's tied for the most sacked quarterback in the nfl at this point should, should we expect that to remain the case against this baltimore pass rush Ooh, I think so. I think that, listen, they've had a couple weeks off, um, but this past game, even though they did lose, they had four sacks against um, the Dolphins, and Justin Houston actually got his 100th career sack against um, the Dolphins as well, against Jacoby Brissett, which really quick aside story, um, he had, I think he'd been talking about getting his 100th sack, I think before the Colts game, which was his former team that he came from, and I guess he has this thing, if you want to call it like quarterback graveyard or whatever he collects jerseys of quarterbacks that he sacks so um we asked him like you know did you get one from Jacoby Brissett and he's like uh yeah obviously and so he's gonna frame it and like give it to his son but his son by the way told him he's like no 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 dad you're not done yet you got to get to a 130 in your career before you can call it a career so there's a kid calling the shots for Justin Houston's career right here but um no between Justin Houston and Odafe Owe who is the uh rookie uh out of the Big Ten this year out of Penn State, I've been so impressed with him because he is so quick for someone his size. I think that his like boasting point coming out of Penn State was I think he ran like a four three forty um, for a guy that size, which is pretty impressive. And he was asked today, you know, about the rookie wall because there's a point I feel like where every rookie gets to halfway in the season because this is a whole new level of football, right, from college football. And he said he doesn't feel the fatigue. He doesn't feel the rookie fatigue. Um, he actually leads the team in sacks right now with four of them. And, you know, possible candidate for defensive rookie of the year. I think that he's going to be a guy that is going to cause some trouble for um, for the Bears. Um, you know, they've had some unsung heroes, too, on the defensive side when it comes to pass rush as well. But I would definitely keep an eye on Odafe Owe and Justin Houston. Again, age is merely a number when it comes to Justin Houston, too. He is one of those guys that is still freak athlete you see him up close to and you're like oh wow this is this is a large human and he's also very quick he's also very fast too so those are the two guys i would keep an eye on if i were the bears bears o-line has to bring their a game and that being said justin fields is going to hopefully try to push the ball down the field a little bit like he did last week uh what are there if any are there any weaknesses in the secondary for baltimore that there could be opening up some of those explosive plays because going into last week, the Bears ranked last in explosive pass plays. Now they, they tried to make some against uh, the Steelers before the bye week, but are there any opportunities there in the secondary with Baltimore to uh, exploit? I want to bring back that inconsistency word here. They've been pretty inconsistent when it comes to the secondary. I'm not even going to lie to you there because there are days where, you know, Marlon Humphrey will not let anybody touch, like, you know, touch the ball but then there are days where you know the Ravens will give up a huge play for a touchdown you know I think that happened against the Vikings and the biggest point for them that I've seen is communication you've seen a couple times where they you know uh the opposing offense will cause a little bit of confusion and you see like guys moving around at the last minute yelling at each other and that's when you know the Ravens secondary is in trouble and that's kind of been where they've kind of not been able to protect the uh uh, prevent those big plays. And so I think that, um, that again, inconsistency, we'll have to see how it goes. I just don't know on any given day, which defense, which secondary is going to show up at all. But, um, honestly, yeah, just they're, they've been, I, <laughs> I feel bad saying that, but like, they've just been so inconsistent, um, on ter in terms of, uh, the secondary as well. Like as we've seen the roller coaster all season. Well, the last thing I think comes up for me is because we always get a kick out of special teams, all puns intended. Uh, is there anyone that uh, the Bears fans need to be uh, cognizant of from special teams as far as a, well, we know about Justin Tucker. I was going to say, know, everyone, yeah. everyone knows that. Uh, but as far as a, a 
punter, a kick returner, a punt returner, a gunner, anyone that the Bears fans should be, hey, I heard that name. We should be looking out for any uh, any names on the Baltimore special unit. Um, well, other than Justin Tucker, who has been amazing this season, um, I think Devin Duvernay, I know I brought him up when we were talking about receivers. He's also kind of, he's also a great special teams guy too. And I think at one point, I think like week four, week five in the season, he had like the most yards in terms of returns or something like that. But um, he is definitely a sneaky little guy. You know what I mean? He like really does a great job of seeing the field, I think. Um, and I think that if there's anyone to keep an eye on besides Justin Tucker, it would definitely be, Devin Duvernay. He's their main return guy. Okay, Melissa, before we let me go, we have to get your prediction for the game. And I actually <laughs> want you to finish these statements because I feel like I know okay. where you're leaning and I know where I'm leaning, where John's leaning. So I want you to complete these statements for me, okay? The Ravens win if and the Bears win if. Okay. I think the Ravens win if Lamar throws for more than 300 yards and if the defense is consistent. I think the Bears win if they blitz their butts off and if Justin Fields can, uh, if he can prevent turnovers. How's that? Perfect. Now, do you have a, do you have a score for us? Are you, are you, are you at liberty to give us a score? I'm like not, I've never been like a scores person. I've been more kind of like a spread person. Like, you know what I mean? Um, but I will say that the Ravens will win by, I would say two touchdowns, let's say. Whoa, I like it. Not that, that's, I, didn't know I thought that's like it's reasonable, not right? Like not yeah, insulting, not insulting, but reasonable. Also, like no, I, think about the cold weather too, I think, because these guys do not like cold weather. Uh, you know, I see them wearing like hoodies and stuff like that when it's like 45 degrees here. They brought out the heaters for the media and it was like 48 degrees. And I'm a former, I actually lived in Wisconsin for five years before I moved here last year so i was like oh my god we get heaters for 50 degrees like what is happening it's because everybody else is cold so i'm like all right so we'll see what the weather is in chicago on sunday because i know it can get brutally cold at soldier field yeah i saw the picture you tweeted out of the mobile heaters and i was i'm sitting here i'm sitting here in uh in pennsylvania thinking really it's is it that much colder down there in baltimore i'm not so sure so uh yeah they, they, they obviously obviously a, a little bit of a factor we'll see how it is in the windy city but uh melissa before we get you out of here can you please tell our listeners and our viewers how they can see your work how they can interact with you on social media oh. and uh, and get your content yeah my uh social media my twitter and instagram handles on the screen at melissa y kim i also uh host the post game show and the halftime show on the ravens game day network if you want to check it out awesome stuff once again melissa y kim studio host of the ravens broadcast team we appreciate all your time and helping us better understand the ravens we'll talk to you down the road whenever the ravens and the bears meet in the super bowl in like 400 years <laughs> sounds good i'll see you guys later thank you so much we'll be back with more of a phone 55 right after this
Welcome back to Buffon 55. It's time to head down to the basement. Buffon's basement where we walk down the stairs. We see Aldo Gandia pass out on the recliner. He's got pretzel crumbs all over his chest. <laughs> a half-eaten Werther's original on the ground. I think, <laughs> nice. I, think I saw an Elkis. I think I saw an Elka seltzer on this on the coffee stand. That's <laughs> Frank Miller high life. He's ready. He's ready to go. Aldo, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Boy, oh boy. Uh, it took me a while to get used to the controls after being on vacation for five days. I, uh, <laughs> I, I lead the barroom and screw ups for uh, production work in the background there. Hey, stat leader, no matter no matter what, you're the stat leader. That's all that matters. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Well, now that and that was a great interview with Melissa, by the way, she she yeah. broke down the Ravens uh, uh, offense and defense, gave us a little bit of hope, but ultimately gave the prediction that the Bears might lose by two touchdowns, which is not out of the realm of possibility, by the way. Uh, <laughs> okay. So, although I got to ask you, because you just jumped on, um, what are you, what's your confidence level against a team like the Baltimore Ravens? Because uh, before the season, I already chalked that up as an automatic loss. I said that the Ravens are going to roll this game. The Bears have no shot. Seeing up and down the, the, how they, they've been, is there, a, is there a chance? There's a chance if the Bears defense can stop that rushing attack of the Ravens, you know, and that's what happened uh, in the last couple of weeks, their rushing attack has been nullified to some degree. And that's the key, I think, to beating the Baltimore Ravens. You know, they've got, you know, that uh, Lamar Jackson, probably the greatest running quarterback of our generation, uh, arguably. And uh, if we can nullify him, keep him in the pocket, force him to throw, and not to say that he's a bad passer, but it, it, his strength is creating more time for passing or just running with the ball, pre-designed plays, as a matter of fact. And so I believe that's the biggest thing about this upcoming football game. So I, I have a, a high level of confidence that Justin Fields and the offense is are, they're going to continue to ascend. Now, I'm a little concerned about A-Rob's potential injury and how that might affect the offense, given that we don't have a lot, a lot of uh, proven depth at that wide receiver position. But I do believe that this offense can put up three touchdowns. And if we can hold the Ravens, uh, we being the Bears, hold the Ravens to 20 or under, that spells victory. Alyssa, are you any more confident or less confident going into this game, knowing more about the Baltimore Ravens? I mean, considering the Bears have lost four straight, they've never won a game. They haven't won a, a game coming off the bye week since 2013. I mean, I should not feel as confident as I do. I think it's just because the Ravens have been, and Melissa used this word a lot, inconsistent, where they've had some pretty big wins, but then they also they needed a miracle field goal to beat the Lions, and they just lost to the Dolphins. So there's definitely a blueprint to beat them. And like Aldo said, I think it starts on defense. It's really weird because coming out of that Pittsburgh game, it kind of felt like the offense and defense were headed in opposite directions, right? The offense was ascending up, the defense was trending downward. And it, in a weird way, I have more confidence, or I don't know if it's confidence, or maybe I'm just worrying less about the Bears' offense in this game, which sounds very weird. But when you have Lamar Jackson and you have that rushing attack, and I, I know what they look like against the Dolphins, but then at the same time, they can turn around and just, just light the Bears up. So this defense really needs to be on top of it. And, you know, like Melissa was saying, the blueprint's there. So hopefully Sean Desai uh, was paying attention and they could try to replicate what Miami did. Now that brings up an, another interesting question about how the Bears are going to approach this game. And Alyssa and I already talked about it, Aldo, so I want to ask you first. Get, let's just say Tevin Jenkins is healthy. 
and and he's going to get some time. Maybe maybe it's not this game, but it, but if it is, uh, if it, if it's this game, next game, whatever. What is your alignment of this offensive line, and and who is playing where, and why? Is it because you think it's it gives them the best chance to win now, or what you actually want to see in the future? Yeah, I think you guys made some good points in in terms of you know who should play and where they should play. My feeling on it is you've got to give Tevin Jenkins at least a couple of weeks of practice. You got to remember this guy didn't practice at all during OTAs. So if you've got three weeks where you can make a decision as to whether to activate him or not, it might be a good idea to use all three of those weeks so you could see him in practice and actually maybe play him at a couple of positions because the left tackle position, of course, the quarterback's blind side. You, blind side. You don't want to mess around with that, with particularly with a uh, offensive lineman who has had uh, very few left tackle starts in college. So maybe it's a better to have him at, at the guard position, which some people, including Danny Shimon here at the uh, at the bar room, have suggested that would be a better position for him. And so uh, I think, you know, you take a look at him over the next two to three weeks in practice, see where, where he's playing best, maybe give him some snaps at the left tackle. But if he's playing much better at the guard position, then you definitely have to give him some playing time uh, if you're mathematically out of the playoffs, which should happen any minute now. <laughs> uh, after and, and that, game. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's a really good point. It's an interesting point. Um and I don't know the answer to this and because uh, I, I am not a professional offensive line coach, but uh, if he is going to get reps at left tackle in practice, but th- but then he's going to get game reps at, at guard, I just don't know because then if you're practicing him at guard, are you saying, okay, he's going to be our guard of the future whenever you kind of move up to draft him as your tackle? I imagine that's why you moved up to get him. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that this coaching staff and probably this front office says, hey, get this guy reps at left tackle. This is why we moved up to get him, uh, regardless of whether or not he plays better at guard or not, because I think they, I think you're, you're seeing the draft investment there. So I, I think that it, I, it, even though he may be playing better at guard, I don't think that's where they're going to put him at, at least, at mm. least until he gets practice and probably gets a few starts at left tackle. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, it's risky, you know, wherever you're going to put him out on that offensive line, it's going to be risky. But I do yeah. like the idea of starting him out slowly, taking a good look at him in practice, and, uh, and and as the season wears on, start to evaluate what you have there on that offensive line because it's probably going to go through some major changes. And you guys talked earlier about the contract status with Daniels and Whitehair. And, yeah, you're right. There's actually a potential out on Cody Whitehair's contract, but there will be a lot of carryover money, which the Bears are already doing a lot of that. And so James Daniels, who at sometimes looks to be really, really promising, and then other times he's just not playing well. He actually leads the offensive lineman in terms of quarterback hurries plus pressures plus sacks. He's given up the most of any of the offensive linemen. Jason Peters is is second. So uh, Sam Mustafer, by the way, has allowed only one sack this season. So I say that to the Mustafer haters out there. But uh, so he, to me, he offers some promise. <laughs> yeah, I think because of the like 
the weakness, I guess you could say, among the interior, I think that's another reason why you want to see what Tevin Jenkins brings at left tackle. Because if you feel like you have your tackle position set with Jenkins and Borum, then you know what you can target in the draft. So, I mean, like like you said, bringing him out slow, which is which is smart because you have your future you, who he has to protect, right? You don't want to risk Justin Fields. You want him to get that experience, but you also don't want him to get hurt. So I, under, I, I like the idea of starting him slow, but also I think he obviously does need to get reps at left tackle. They want to see what he's like. Is he going to, are they going to play him at left tackle, which it looks like they are, like they envision him being the left tackle of the future. You know, so, I mean, just so you can kind of see what you really need to do on the interior of that line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought the interior of the line was going to be the strength of the line before the before yeah. the season. And here we are talking about how we might have the tackles sewn up, and now we don't know what the hell's going on in the interior part of the line, oh, which I think bears. we were talking about. I think we switched <laughs> around at the end of last year. So it's, it's, there's never there's never just consistency with that because we there was problem I, you know uh, although i was kind of with you where i had hope for sam mustafer to be this the center of the future here but uh kind of like what i said uh in my b55 segment what if they can go out and get like a ryan jensen at center in the offseason what if they can go out and bring in this this big time center who can really solidify anchor that that offensive line in the middle and then maybe you have borum and jenkins and by the way they're on rookie contracts so they're not eating up a lot of cap space and then uh for guard maybe you have you still have white hair kick over a guard where he might feel more comfortable and then you got to fill in another guard somewhere maybe you bring somebody back in on a one-year deal uh but i i think that 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 might be the best case scenario i did want to go around the horn real quick and ask i'll start with you Alyssa. is james daniels on this team next year Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I don't know. It's like you said, like he's had those moments where he's really shown to be a promising talent, but then he's had some of those frustrating moments. So, I mean, I could see them bringing him back next year, right? Especially if Ryan Pace is still the general manager of this team. I feel like maybe obviously you get him a little cheaper than, than obviously he would have done if, you know, he was performing up to the par that Cody Whitehair had done when he got his extension. Uh, so, I mean, at this point, that's a good question. Yeah, it's a I'm going to say yes for right now. I want to see how the final eight games shake up, too. I mean, it depends. I still like whether I think Pace is here and what this line looks like. If they if they feel like they have the tackle position settled, if they look at, okay, we'll keep white hair. And then, like you said, maybe they go out and they get like a Ryan Jensen in free agency. And then maybe they're like, okay, well, maybe we can find another guard here that we can get on a rookie deal. So, I mean, I'll, I mean at this point, I'll say yes. But I still want to see how things shake up in the final eight games. Yeah, that's, you know, it's a a tough one because you hate to start to redraft, right? You know, you drafted this guy to be one of your interior offensive lineman stars. You know, the the first uh, thought was that he he would be the center because that was the position at Iowa that he played the best at. And that doesn't happen for whatever reasons, but but is it time now to maybe take a look at him at center before the season closes and give him, you know, four or five games at center? Because if you can and you can work out a deal for him, if he if he plays fairly well at the center position, he's certainly going to have more strength than Sam Mustafer, which is the big knock, rightfully so, against Mustafer. But if he can if he can play that center position, then he might be that that versatile interior offensive lineman that's very difficult to live without. I personally would love to see the guy get another season with the Chicago Bears, but clearly he's going to sign a multi-year contract, whether it's with the Bears or with somebody else. They're going to value 
his, you know, the kid is what, 22 or 23. Yeah. So, you know, he's going to get better if he stays injury free. He was drafted as a 19 year old. So, um, I'd love to see him stick around. Uh, he seems like a good guy, you know, uh, a good guy in the locker room and so forth. And he's got the biggest butt I've ever seen of any Chicago Bears <laughs> offensive lineman. And that's, that's a recipe for success there for an offensive lineman. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he'll bring that to the negotiating table. Uh, but, <laughs> but, yeah, to, to, to your point, Aldo, yeah, he just turned 24. Still super young as he finishes out his rookie contract. So, yeah, if the Bears are going to re-sign him, he's probably not taking anything less than a multi-year deal. I don't think he's going to – I don't know if he's going to sign a prove-it contract with anybody where it's one year and then try to, try to you know, get a bigger deal after that. I think he's going to go somewhere, sign a two-, three-year deal, and guess what? He'll still only be 27 or 28 by the time by the time that, that deal's done, so he's going to get another contract. So uh, I, I, I see – once again, there, I always look at the contributing factors of this. Is Nagy gone? Is Ryan Pace gone? Did the new GM say, hey, listen, we're scrapping this. This obviously didn't work. This guy didn't work with this system. We're going to go find our own guy. So uh, I, I don't know. I say I would lean 40% no, 60% or excuse me, 60% no and 40% yes at this point. But there's still so much that has to be fleshed out. Much like you, Odo, I would like to see him get some snaps at center to see if, if, if he finally is comfortable there to see if he can show some of that promise he had in college. Um, and, and if you're not going to, if you're not going to figure it out now, when are you going to figure it out? Whenever, right. whenever he's on another, whenever he's on another team. So uh, go, go ahead and figure it out. And then once again, here lies the problem. You have a head coach that might not be the head coach of this team next year. You have a GM that may not be a GM of this coach next year. So they don't give a crap about getting looks for guys next year if they think they're coaching for their job right now. Yes. If they feel like we got to win a bunch of games now for us to save our jobs, they don't give a crap about seeing what this guy looks like at another position and whether or not that might work out next year. Because if they're not here, why do they care what the what the next guy has on film? So there's a little bit of an issue there as far as let's see what people got for next year. Whenever those guys up top may not be here next year. So right. uh, that that's, that's, that's a bit of a problem. And speaking of the season itself, I, I know I touched on it a little bit earlier, but is anybody else feeling really indifferent about the wins and losses right now? <laughs> or it's just like, does it matter? Because it, it's, 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 it, they're what three and six. If they lose this game, they're three and seven. For all intents and purposes, the season's done. The season's over if you're three and seven, unless you can rattle off, you know, you lose one more game and that's it for the rest of the year. Although, do these wins and losses, uh, do they do they strike you at all as far as you know, really messing you up emotionally, or are you more thinking about I want to see what I want to see what Justin Fields does, I want to see what Cole Komet does, I want to see what Roquan Smith does. That that is probably uh, equal with wins and losses. I think you need to build a winning culture, and you do that by winning games and fighting, you know, all 60 minutes of the game and and you know, having a positive attitude, win, lose, or draw. And so, you know, there's there's nothing better than winning. And if this team can finish the season with a series of wins and that schedule almost kind of lends itself to that, then, you know, it could be a really good uh, 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 it, it could really help propel the team next year. I've seen it over my decades of watching football. I've seen teams finish strong one season and carry that over into the following season. So for that reason alone, I think it's it's important to win. 
And I think we would all agree that we have a much, much better time on Buffon 55 and all of our barroom shows here when the Bears have won a game. <laughs> no kidding. Oh, Alyssa, how do you feel at going into, let's just say they, they it, it, let's just for the sake of this conversation, say they lose against the Ravens. Now they could win, but it, let's just say if they do lose and they're three and seven, what does that mean for like the rest of the season? Because we've seen this song and dance before. Remember the six game losing streak last year, they finished strong. They fall ass backwards into a playoff spot. Uh, but I don't know if that's going to be the case this year. I mean, I think the difference is the quarterback, right? I mean, last season with with Mitch, we all know that he was on the way out. <laughs> and now you have your franchise quarterback, your hopeful franchise quarterback in place, and you really want to see what he's going to do. Like, you know, looking at this, yes, I mean, like Alda was saying, you want to win. And it's much happier here when we're talking about wins. But it's also happy when we're talking about Justin Fields taking making those next steps in his development because – We've never had a franchise quarterback. Like I know we have it in our lifetime, although in your lifetime and lifetimes of other Bears fans uh, before us. So, I mean, at this point, I, I mean, indifferent to wins and losses. Yeah, because at the same time, like Aldo was talking about, like carrying over that momentum to the next season. I just hope that Matt Nagy's not there carrying it with them, because at you know at the same point, if you are you have Justin Fields succeeding and you have other your other young talent. Cole Komet, Arnell Mooney, getting to see more of Montgomery and Herbert. And, you know, if you see that, that that's kind of like winning in itself. I know we're not talking about, you know, moral victories and all that stuff, but when we're talking about the future, I think that we've kind of accepted that this isn't a contender, especially with what the NFC has been able to do this year. I know the Bears just kind of like backed up into the playoffs last year. I don't think that's going to happen despite Arnell Mooney say, <laughs> saying that he thinks they could win the last eight games, uh, which, I mean, what else do you expect huh. him to say, right? You got to like the mindset, but come on, Darnell, yeah. it's not happening. <laughs> God bless him. Yeah. Well, that you bring up an interesting notion there, Alyssa, though. If the, if the Bears are good enough to get to – eight and nine nine and eight and miss the playoffs is that worth it to is that you're building that winning culture a little bit but is that but if that ends up saving matt Nagy's job are you still happy about that and uh, aldo i'll ask you that because you brought that point up you know i um <laughs> I, I i i don't believe that matt Nagy is capable of being a top flight NFL head coach. So uh, there's enough evidence in to state that the way just his personality quirks kind of reveal that he doesn't have the DNA to be a really great NFL coach. And that's what the, the, you know, the, the, the NFL team in Chicago deserves, you know, this is the, the land of George Hallis, you know, the first head coach of any notoriety in the NFL. And we should have one today. One guy who can, who knows how to manage uh, players, who knows how to, manage the clock who knows how to delegate to his coordinators and his position coaches and and somebody who is encouraging innovation and using it at the appropriate time and so forth and those are all the things that we have seen that are wrong with Matt Nagy and so you know I, I hope that the McCaskey family even if this Bears team wins out and even if they sneak into the playoffs, I think they need to take a really hard look at what has happened with Matt Nagy to this point and not forget about it because right now he's the laughing stock of the NFL and the NFL media and uh, every team that we talk about 
or every almost everyone that has been a guest on Buffon 55 has said something negative about Matt Nagy. Now, Melissa didn't because she's a lady, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> some people just don't know. Like some, I think you go on a Bears podcast, you're like, is it fair game? Can I, is it okay? Yeah, yes, it, it is. is. If any, yeah. anyone's listening here that has a podcast for a different team and you're talking and, you, and you're on this show, yeah. It's fair game. Go ahead and do it. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. How do you feel, Alyssa? I mean, we we want the McCaskies to do the right thing. But we look you look at last year and they won six games and they found a I'm sorry, lost six games in a row. My bad. Uh, and they still managed to justify why they're gonna keep or they kept Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace around uh, and there is a potential that they uh, that they could lose six. I know they play the Lions on Thanksgiving. Can you imagine losing to the Lions, <laughs> giving them their first win? Possibly. I mean, yeah. it's the Bears. Anything could happen. So there's a potential. The Bears have lost four, possibly five after this week. We'll see games in a row for the third straight year under Matt Nagy. And I mean, you kind of hope that they're looking towards the future now because it's about building around Justin Fields. But, I mean, this kind of goes back to what we've said, like, every episode, it feels like, that we just don't have the confidence and the faith that the McCaskies know what the hell they're doing. <laughs> and that's the thing. And, I mean, you, you, I mean, we look at it. You have Bears fans. You have NFL fans. You have commentators, media. And everyone, you can see that they understand that Matt Nagy just isn't it, right? He's had ample time, too. He's had four seasons. And aside from that 12-4 and four year in 2018, it just hasn't panned out. So, I mean, at this point, it feels like it's natural to move on, but I don't have faith that the McCaskies would do that. That's the thing I'm afraid of. Afraid of. I mean, we looked at it, and this should be his last year. I feel, I think we all feel like that should be the case because, like we said before on the show, normally head coaches don't just play out their last year, right, and then just walk the year to get fired or you get your contract extension. So, mm-hmm. I mean, they, I mean, Matt Nagy should be gone after this year. Will he be? I don't know. I, I pray to God he is. Yeah. Yeah, and just speak. You, I mean, you talked about that that Thanksgiving Day at Detroit. It's not like I mean, the Lions just tied with a team that beat the Bears, and I'm a big transitive mm-hmm. property person, so that <laughs> I love. I, I, it's, it's nothing, nothing's a given there. And, and the the Bears lost to the Lions last year after they fired their coach, and we thought that we thought that was going to be enough. We thought, hey, one firing should lead to the other firing. It didn't happen. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I think um, we're in this weird state of just waiting for the shoe to drop. Bears fans are like, okay, let's keep watching Justin Fields. Let's see how the offensive line is doing. Let's see how our young guys are doing. And in the meantime, you're just waiting with this, just this, this anvil waiting over it. Just like, it's just swaying back. Like, when are they going to cut the rope? Come on, (laughs) come on. You were just waiting and you're just like, when are they going to let him go? And it's just, and I think we're going to have to wait at least until the end of the season. But guys, can you, and I, I know this is probably for a different time, but can you even imagine if they end up going seven and ten, and they don't make the playoffs, and they say Matt's our guy, after saying after mandating last year they had to see progress, they had to see an improvement, they mandated that. They wouldn't specifically say what that was because they love to hedge their bets at Hallis Hall. They don't want to actually give you any kind of expectations. They don't want to give you any kind of standards. They just want to say we need to see improvement. The hell that just might be. We need to put better cushions on the seats, or we need to uh, we need to you know have a we need to have a better bus, or we need to who knows what improvements are. We have we need better drapes. So uh, so 
uh, we don't know what the actual improvements are, but can you even imagine that scenario? Because honest, Aldo, you said it. They are the laughing stock, and and like I want to know what kind of impact that really has on the McCaskey family. Every time you watch ESPN, it's either Dan Orlovsky or Rex Ryan or someone saying how bad Matt Nagy is, is, is as a head coach. Mm-hmm. It's always someone saying the Bears don't have a head coach, and I always revert back to this point where it's if Matt Nagy gets fired tomorrow, what job does he get? It's not a head coach in the NFL. It's probably not even a offensive coordinator in the NFL. If he, I mean, and he's not going to be a play caller. So is he going to go down to college and coach? Is he going to be a, a college coordinator? Or is he going to be a, a quarterback coach because of his shining record when developing quarterbacks? So if Matt Nagy gets fired tomorrow, all you got to think of is, well, what jobs he qualified for? And if none of those positions I just say come to mind – why is he still your head coach? Yes. Exactly. Why is it? Why is he still the most important guy in the coaching staff? So I, I, there needs to be. I don't know what I, I wanted. I would love to be a fly on the wall when it comes to some of those conversations to say, I think that's our guy. We got to stick with him. We got to stick with him. I, I I don't understand it. Yeah, you know, I, I, and we've talked about this before. I hate to, you know. Uh, cheer for an organization that's just going to rapidly fire somebody after a season or two. But I think we've gotten enough uh, of a taste test years. Matt Nagy. And, you know, I, I think to answer your rhetorical question about wh- where is he going to get hired, follow the career of Mark Tressman. He's going to go north to Canada. <laughs> Break him in McDonald's. You know, he's done enough those commercials. Yeah. <laughs> Even then, I'm There's a career there. That. <laughs> uh, that's right. He's the crew supervisor for the midnight shift at the downtown <laughs> McDonald's. <laughs> well, well, although even Mark Tressman, despite the fact that he couldn't be a head coach, actually had a pretty good offensive system that worked. Oh, like, yeah. Even Mark, like, he at least made it, he had a, at least had a system that was efficient. He could not lead, he yep. was not a good NFL head coach. But he could run it. He could run an offense. Yeah. So I don't know if I can say the same for Matt Nagy. That that's a good point. And and Tressman won like I think three or four uh, Canadian football cups uh, up there championships. Uh, so yeah, maybe if we're gonna make an argument about who's better, Tressman's gonna get a lot of votes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Did you ever imagine like we'd say that? I mean, I was just you, kinda, that. you look back at the Mark Tressman thing and like how he could run an offense. You look at Matt Nagy who can't do anything. Mm-hmm. How is he? Like John said, how is he still your head coach? Yeah, I, I, I was just gonna say before you, before you said that, Alyssa, oh. I was like, can you can you even believe we're having a Tressman versus Nagy debate right now? Can you even did you even expect that to ever come no. up? Like, who had the better offense, Tressman or Matt Nagy? And one of the guys gets the one guy gets four years to prove that he's got an offense, and he just does not have it. Uh, <laughs> Look, at, last look at what Beth says. Every time she gets an ESPN notification. Every time I get an ESPN notification, I hope it's to tell me Matt Nagy is gone. Well, That's great, Beth. <laughs> I, I, you, you can only keep hoping. You can only keep hoping. But uh, d- d- honestly, though, uh, the last thing I wanted to bring up uh, before we before we get out of here is, does that rule take an effect this year that people uh, that teams can interview coaches two weeks earlier? Does that take it? So that does take effect this year. Yes. Do you think that has yeah. any any 
impact whatsoever because I know the Bears have never fired anyone in season. Mm-hmm. I know it's not what they always done. Not to mention, I hate hearing that, by the way. It's like, we've always done this. And it's a tradition, yeah. tradition. What's your tradition? You've won one Super Bowl since 1985. <laughs> so uh, yeah, maybe you should That's stop doing things. Maybe you should stop doing things the way that you've always done them because they haven't been working so well for the last four decades. Yeah. But I digress. Do you think this new rule has any impact on what the Bears do. Let's just say they do tank. Let's just say they 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 fall apart and they lose six straight and they they are on track to lose double digit games. Is this a, it, it, would it be Ryan Pace from the, the McCaskey family that says we got to get looking now. We have the opportunity to start interviewing guys. This ain't our guy. We got to start bringing people in now to see who's going to be our head coach and maybe get a head start on some of these other teams that're going to fire their coach. Yeah, but I think it also depends on are they going to stick with Ryan Pace too, right? Yeah. If they make that decision and they're going to continue to ride with Pace because, I mean, you look at his track record and he has some some big misses, but he has some hits as well, right? He got the yeah. quarterback right, then that's the important thing, the thing that he hasn't been able to get right to this point. So if they decide to stick with Pace, then I think that that's something that they should consider. I hope that they would consider. I, like you, John, I'm tired of hearing about – the whole, oh, they never fired head coach midseason. And I interviewed Dick Buckus uh, last week, and he also mentioned, because he's like, the McCaskies aren't going to pay anybody to stop the couch, right? Because, <laughs> like, they don't yeah. want to waste money like that. But when we're talking two games, and it gives you an opportunity to get a head start on your head coaching search, especially with some of the guys out there, I mean, I think that they should consider it, and I hope that they would. But, again, that kind of goes back to my lack of faith in this organization to kind of do anything right. If they get to that point in the season after the Seahawks game, which is December 26th, there's two more games then, they should know if Matt Nagy is going to be coaching this team in 2022 by December 26th. And so if they know that he's not, then they, they, they need to fire him, unfortunately, the day after Christmas that night or the following day on the 27th. Put that interim coach in there for two weeks. And in the meantime, Ryan Pace does the the, the searching for a head coach. Now, to Alyssa's point, if, if Ryan Pace's job is on the hot seat, then both of those guys have to finish the season off. And then uh, on that day after uh, the season's uh, finale, uh, January 9th against the Vikings, then that's when you announce that Hallis Hall has been blown to smithereens. Well, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. In the meantime, we're going to have to just watch every Sunday. We're going to watch every Sunday. We're going to watch our beloved Bears. Before we get out of here, Aldo, anything going on at the barroom people need to be aware of, new programming, scheduling, all that fun stuff? Yeah, we've got Science Fliction that's going to follow at the top of the hour, 9 p.m. Central, 10 Eastern. The guys are going to talk about the the new Spider-Man trailer that was released. I think it was yesterday. So they're going to do like a forensic detailed look at every frame of the trailer Mm -hmm. to see if they got any Easter eggs that they can can, uh, anticipate when the movies release uh, around Christmas time. They're also going to do a review of the Eternals. So that's uh, on immediately after this show. And then uh, tomorrow, Greg Grabiel, a special uh, Greg Grabiel talks football. We'll talk to him about some of the same topics we had today and all of the latest news from Hallis Hall. So those are the two different uh, uh, programming notes that we have that are out of the ordinary. 
And don't forget all of the Bears coverage here on the Barroom Network. In addition to Buffon 55, we got the Bear Debate every Tuesday with Tyler Ellis and myself going back and forth with all the hot issues going on with the Chicago Bears. Obviously, Dan and Aldo talk, or excuse me, Bear Their Souls. That's great, uh, great adult theme, but also very fun show to talk about the Chicago Bears. Danny Shimon every Thursday breaking down the tape on the Bear Truth Barfly Tailgate Show leading up to the game. Bear Football directly after the game with Aldo, myself, and Tyler Ellis again. All Greg Gabriel up and down the line. Mike North, of course. Great programming on the Barroom Network. Check it out every day. There's basically some fresh content for you, so that nothing's ever going to get stale. We got something for you every day. Alyssa, before we get out of here, tell people about where they can find your stuff, where they can find your work, and how you about your interview with Dick Butkus, by the way. Yeah. Barry in the, yeah, Barry in the lead. Was, really? <laughs> I love Barry that was lead. like the highlight of my career easily. It was really, really cool, which you can find the interview over at ParisWire.com. It was really cool getting to talk with him about he, he, he uh, partnered with the NFL Alumni Association for their Huddle Up, Let's Talk Obesity campaign and getting to talk to him about this, these current bears. He thinks that Justin Fields is the guy. So, I mean, that's high praise. And he he kind of – he was talking about Roquan and how much he admires the way he tackles and how he reminds him of himself. And we were talking a little bit, too, about Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy. Like, at the end of the interview, we just kind of had, like, a conversation. It was kind of just going back and forth. And he's as fed up as we are, just so we're all clear. So, I think, uh, obviously, Buckus would like to see uh, a new head coach in place, too, for next season. So you can find that interview and everything leading up to this game against the Ravens on Sunday at BearsWire.com. And let me add, the best way to stay informed about all the great things happening here at the Bar Room is to follow us on social media at Bar Room Network. You can find us all across social media from Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Excellent. Great stuff. Thank you to everyone in the chat room. I missed all of you as well. We took a week off, but we are back and better than ever breaking down the bears here on Buffon 55. And like I always say, whether this was your first time or 55th time listening to this show, we appreciate you, whether it's the video version, the audio version, the live version, or the downloadable version. We love each and every one of you. We appreciate this show doesn't happen without all you, but that will do it for this edition of Buffon 55. Enjoy the game, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye.